0: Graphic Nature acknowledges the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we record the show and pay our respects to the elders past, present and future and extend that respect to other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening to this podcast. Due to the graphic nature of this program, listener discretion is advised. Fighting for what's right, for justice, that's what a hero does. It is my opinion, without any reasonable doubt and without any reservation, that comic books are an important contributing factor in many cases of juvenile delinquency. Comic books are pure evil. Satan himself condemns our children to the fiery depths of hell. How a particular tale can come to life in the mind of a reader is endlessly fascinating to me. We have found that all comic books have a very bad effect on teaching the youngest children the proper reading techniques. This balloon print pattern prevents them. I am not a villain. I am a victim. A victim of a society that tortured me. Vengeance will be mine, will be mine. Welcome to Graphic Nature, a podcast exploring the inspiring world of comic books, the culture that supports it, the creators, publishers, and people behind the printed pages and digital screens, pushing the medium on into the future in Australia and the world. I'm Zoran Ilyevsky. On this episode, we're joined with Katie Houghton-Ward, aka, or also known as Katie Hollywood. Thank you so much. A creator and uh, a tattoo artist. Katie, thanks so much for being on the show today. How you been?
1: (laughs) Good. (laughs) <laughs> hi it's
0: been ages man
1: yeah yes it has <laughs>
0: <laughs> do you remember when you started the world
1: yeah i was 23
0: was it early 2000s
1: 20 years ago Fuck. 20 years ago so That's yeah um,
0: so yeah early 2000s yeah early 2000
1: so yeah 2000 actually probably 2000 yeah. early 2000 yeah
0: no, oh, I can't remember. I left the worlds in two thousand, unless you started when I came back. Because I remember, I remember your first day.
1: Yeah, well, I do. I do too. <laughs> but I don't
0: remember. I don't remember the interim, like well, how far that was before me coming back to the worlds. No, I, you
1: were, you were there when I got there. That's for sure.
0: Oh so yeah, all that fuck. That would have been around that. That was the heavy drinking years, so I, I can't really remember much. <laughs> uh, let's let's start off with how you. How did comics become your, your thing? Like, where did it all start?
1: Oh, I, I kind of have com- that as a memory as when you, like you met the love of your life kind of memory, you know, when you're like, we were in Paris and then we did this together and it just sparked. And I knew <laughs> it's kind of like that with comics. And it's, and it's, um it has been the love of my life throughout everything. And uh, it was when I was about uh, 14, 15 years old and 2000, 2000- 2000 AD was one dollar, and you got. And I was living in a small country town, and the only comics I could get was from news agencies and from. Uh, and so I was getting like, you know, weekly issues of like Nightwing, or 2000 AD, and mostly I fell in love with British comics through 2000 AD and Heavy Metal. Um, so it was pretty much. I met a guy called Henry, and he opened my world up to this whole kind of like other that they were doing more things outside of 2000 AD. And he showed me all of his books that he had. And I think it was pretty much exactly uh, Simon Bisley's slain when I opened it up. And I went, I just didn't know comics could look like that. I had no idea that comics could blend fine art so intricately and beautifully. And it just all my passion for fine art and all my passion for comics just, like, exploded into one big, oh, my God, I'm in love. And uh, and it was around that time uh, with, you know, with all of those guys, John J. Moore Bill Sankiewicz, uh, all those classics, Ken Williams, uh, all those guys that were painting heavily back then. But I also was very much in love with the humour of Deadpool as well at the time and and all of those, like, really story heavy comics as well there was four women I think by Sam Keith rocked my world at the time it was all and they all together it was just the most intricate and beautiful world I'd ever been exposed to in one medium yeah right yeah
0: so was that what what adolescence was it uh, younger than that 15 oh wow, that's About r-
1: 14 15 yeah right yeah.
0: so the formative years
1: formative yeah
0: <laughs> more so for you than than others particularly with comics a lot of the people yeah, I, yeah a lot of the people i speak to everyone kind of talks about you know sunday papers and stuff like that uh, when they're really young uh, yeah. some have you know suggested that even even in their you know like more early teens like you know 11 12 13 it's kind of when they get get introduced just just through newspapers and stuff like that i mean that's kind of you know, what i originally started with
1: I think I was always in love with superheroes. I was obsessed with Batman and Superman from very early on, very early on, maybe that was my earliest, maybe um, eight years old, and everything was Batman, everything was Superman, everything was Wonder Woman. That was before even comics, and I was obsessed with cartoons. I didn't really, had no exposure to comics um, when I was that little, so it was all just based. And then when I found comics, it was like, I've been looking for you my whole life, pretty much.
0: You know, you've been a, an artist and a creative for a very long time. What was the inciting moment for you to make the jump from just someone who enjoys it to actually going, I can, I can create. This is something I want to do.
1: Again, I was a late bloomer. I was like, uh, I for some reason I'd never put the two together that people actually made them. I was always like, they're just like magical people out there, and they produced and come and then <laughs> and then. Uh, I met this guy in Sydney called Dave Altenew, and um, he showed me my first Hellboy comic. It was Pivotal. And he was working at trying to be a comic book artist at the time, and it kind of blew my mind. I was like, you're actually going for that? And he's like, yeah, you can do that. And I was like, I'm sorry. That's just now everything I'm going to do is going to be to do that. (laughs) And it was like one day, and I got a giant tattoo on my back, of uh, Eric Canette's uh, Satanica because uh, I was reading that at the time and I was obsessed with Verotique, and, um, and I got that on my back because I knew it paid not so great. I knew it was hard and I knew I would get to 30 and I would want to do something else because it was hard, hard, hard. And I wanted to keep my 18-year-old self preserved on my back, <laughs> like to go don't give up. This is, you so love this. Don't ever give up. And so it was at that point of about 18 years old that I went, I'm I'm going to give everything I got to this.
0: And you're still going.
1: Still going. <laughs> still going.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Considering you're, you're still going, there's, there's one thing that uh, I, I've always cited when I talk to other creators, whether it be on mic or off, mostly off, let's be honest. But um, it's the the whole idea of doing a project, a major project, when you have no time for it, mm. and and the reason I I always cite you is because truth be known, I've known you for a very long time. It's been twenty years. <laughs> yeah. you know, I've I've always, for for a very long time, my brain couldn't fathom why you started Kulan right about the time where you started working on it, just, to, just around the time that your kids were born or just or just before then or something like that?
1: Yeah, I finished my last heavy metal issue. I, I, my son was a year old and I remember being in my spare room and him sitting there on the ground chewing on the end of like a paintbrush and I was <laughs> inking this heavy metal comic and I thought, uh, this is like this is so hard, but it is so important to me. And then I think it was like two months later after that, that went to print in heavy metal, I found out, well, you know, I planned my second child. I was like, oh, I'm pregnant again. And then I was like, oh my God, how am I gonna keep drawing comics? And uh, I basically thought, I, okay, I'm here. I'm gonna be with these kids um, freelancing from home for the next five years, six years until they're at school i'm not going to be able to take on a deadline because if you don't hit a deadline in comics uh it's very bad mm-hmm. so you just don't take them yep. Uh, yep if if you just know you can't you don't you, sh- you know like out of responsibility to the whole chain of creators you don't take them because it can really mess up a, a publication mm-hmm. to not be on time and s- sort of having that awareness of um my limitations i thought now would be a an excellent time to undertake a long, long-form graphic novel. Um, I've always wanted to do one. I've always had one in me. I've like, I, I kind of was like, oh, I'll just do some smaller issues. I think Tom Taylor said to me, uh, "No one told you to do a uh, graphic novel <laughs> first off the bat. You could have done <laughs> three single issues, and because uh, halfway through I was getting, you know, like." Sequential fatigue.
0: <laughs> well, that's that's what I never understood. Like for, for me, it was, and, and I, I really didn't understand. I understand my own mo- motivations probably better than I understand yours. But for a long time, I kept putting off doing this very show as a podcast for a very long time. Mm. Uh, because ah, it's always yeah. there. I can take care of it. I can take care of it. I'll do it. And I've only, I was only ever on radio for, for a cup for a few years. And then all of a sudden my, my daughter was born and I went, I've got to do this podcast like if I don't do it now I'll, I'll never do it yeah and and um it just so happens that when I had least amount of time is when I decided to take on a project that took up a lot of time isn't it like <laughs> well this is this is it, the thing
1: it is and it's almost like you know I knew that I was not going to really have my work was everything to me being an artist and being a creator and writing my own work and creating my own work before I had children was so rewarding and uh i just couldn't i couldn't let go of it i couldn't let it fall away i'd worked too hard in i was too in love with it i just i just wanted to progress and i knew that a long form would keep my hand in uh i'd keep progressing illustratively and so that by the time they were ready to go into school i would not have gone backwards yeah as an artist Mm -hmm. but i didn't um predict hurting myself just towards the end I mean that's interesting yeah because <laughs> yeah. I did a touch <laughs>
0: yeah, right right
1: yeah 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 I got um, uh, an inflamed tendon from inking like a 100 pages in like a 100 days or something Jeez. and I only kept I only kept the final cut is 65 70 pages max and I drew about 150 I inked about 120 and I cut that much because it was wasn't good enough, and so what you're seeing now, what I do publish now, is the is the best I got in me. So if someone says oh, it's okay, I'll be like, it's the best I got.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. But you cut you cut over 30 pages.
1: I cut over 30 pages. I I like I have piles and piles of um pencil pages that will never be print because they're just they weren't strong enough.
0: They Artistically didn't, they didn't or they didn't work narratively.
1: Both. They just seemed superfluous. Like, there was just, like, I went through a huge phase where I kind of, like, matured a little bit in a way artistically and as a writer, and I kind of embarrassingly realised a lot about three-quarters of the way through the book after talking with some incredible professionals, and I was like, oh, man, I was really just... The the writer and the artist were always fighting. The artist wanted to do splash pages forever, and the writer just wanted (laughs) to just have, like, seven panels of a hand moving to a doorknob and <laughs> and like you know the two together were always fighting you know like so I uh you know I had to when I finally did get to the final draft there was a lot of pages that were just me just like enjoying drawing and I was like that's not really part of the story yeah right to have you know flying horses and people fighting it makes no sense you got
0: to get it out did you (laughs) did you did you map it out though
1: well it's actually this is where you're getting into the deep nothing bolts of of the inner machinations of it. Mm it is actually i'm a a very i study a lot of philosophy and there's also one of my favorite philosophers is Jung, Mm -hmm. and i wanted to stream my subconscious into consciousness to create characters to have a discourse and so I did about 100 panels in 100 days. Um, before I drew the comic, that was insane to have two small babies and to commit to doing f- <laughs> I don't know why I do it, really. <laughs> uh, I did that to channel the characters to come out of me, mm-hmm. to find these three major archetypes that were in my subconscious that needed to have a conversation. And I based the story around these characters that came out through this process of doing 100 panels, and there was the- – these three, there was an older man, a middle-aged man, and a young girl. Mm-hmm. And so this comic really follows a conversation between masculinity and femininity, age versus youth, wisdom versus intelligence, and a discourse that follows throughout the whole. And it will read just like a simple action adventure. Yep. But underneath that, there's some questions I'm trying to put out there that might be caught by some or it might not. But either way, it was important to me.
0: Yeah, right. And, yeah. and so, cutting, what is it 50 pages? Is, is a lot of pages to cut.
1: Yeah. And well, I, I, had the, the, I had the skeletal structure of the story. Right. And I did a kind of like Marvel way of writing. You know, the Marvel way they used to just yeah. like, you remember that? Yeah. yeah. It was the Marvel way of writing where I was kind of like, lay it all out. And, you know, like they would say, okay, now he's here. Now he's over here. Make him from here to here and fill in everything in between. You can do whatever you want in between. As long as he he, he reaches that beat, he reaches that peak, as long as that conclusion is there. So I kind of like, because I couldn't think a lot. I couldn't put my mind together because I was tired.
0: And busy with life.
1: Um, Busy with life and I couldn't think. I literally couldn't string my writer brain together. So I thought, when I do have a moment of cognitive sense, I will string this together into how it fits. And I did. I would go away for, you know, like a night somewhere at a hotel um, every six months or eight months, and I'd take the book with me, and I would use the the panels I I had drawn as thumbnails the loose panels, yeah, uh, and I built the story. And then, when I went back to, into the chaos of parenting, I had that moment of clarity, and i would I would pair it back till it is uh, you know quite a simple story, but at the same time, it's quite a powerful one to me. So, yeah, wow. it took a while. I did write it over the time I was drawing it in a way. Uh, the the panels were a language,
0: mm-hmm. right. So mm-hmm. it, so basically, it was pretty much just a stream of consciousness. I think you even mentioned that at the start that as you you were pretty much developing it as you were drawing it. Yeah. Right. Right. Right.
1: That's how I that and that's why I cut so many pages. Yeah. Because yeah. I was writing visually, mm-hmm. and which is huge and cumbersome to write with panels
0: (laughs) yeah yeah and i just i just can't escape the amount of work that you've done and then not being able to show that
1: no i will i think i'll do a couple of books of just the working pages Mm -hmm. um in the future just in black and white for curiosity i mean as i said i thoroughly enjoy drawing i i'm obsessed with the interplay of black and white it's a passion for me. Drawing volumes and volumes and volumes for me is pleasurable. Yep. I would draw from the moment I wake up to when I sleep if I didn't have everything else to do for fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, so it's like it, it is – and it, it became like that. At first in my 20s, it wasn't like that. It was hard. Yeah. And it was uncomfortable because I didn't feel like what I was – thinking I was conveying very well on the page um, but when I started to recognize what I was seeing in my head was coming out as I wanted it onto the page it became very enjoyable
0: so that would be just a matter of of doing it wouldn't it I mean you know
1: years right just thousands of hours
0: yeah thousands and thousands of
1: hours thousands and thousands of hours yeah
0: in the grand scheme of things, a lot of people probably have the same kind of issue with their art. I know even whenever I've contemplated doing anything, it's it's getting getting that image from your brain into the onto the page is the hardest thing.
1: So hard. And it's still hard for me. It's still, di- it's still very difficult for me. I'm always looking at people like Bernie Wrightson and Alex Toth. And I look at Alex Toth and I see his line work, three lines, and he's conveyed everything. It breaks my just- heart.
0: It breaks, it my, breaks heart.
1: my heart, and I think that's a <laughs> And then I look at my stuff, and then I go, "Oh, here yeah, we go, another ten years. Let's go." <laughs> Until and you know what? In ten years' time, you know, I'm aiming for three quarters of the less line work that I use now. So, and and that is just, I know another couple of thousands of hours, thousands.
0: <laughs> but do you think? Do you think ultimately that that's that's important, like, could it, like, you know, I imagine uh, people are looking at your work and going, going, that's fucking amazing. Like, I, you know, I'm trying to do shit here with three lines and, and she's doing this amazing shit with all these other lines. Like, you know, I, you know, different people have different perspectives and, and sure, we can both look at Alex Toth and and, and to some degree, I look at like Chris Samney, he does the same kind of thing, very paired back, very paired back yeah. line work, but like they're able to do so much with so little and, yeah. and, you know, and whenever I think of drawing or anything like that, I, I just crumple up into the fetal position because of, you know, looking at some of these greats and, and these artists and just going, I don't think I could do this.
1: Yeah. It's like, it's part of the human condition to always see what you're not, you're failing, mm. you know? So, like, someone might look at my work and go, wow, that's amazing. And all I'm seeing is what it can't, what it isn't. Yeah. You know, like, and I think that is a blessing as well. I mean, like, I, I think it was uh, Hemingway that said uh, the burden of being on top of the mountain is, is, and, and that is, in a way, he was saying you're so lucky to have that pressure put down upon you that pushes you to excel, and to be on top of that mountain is the loneliest and uh, pointless and boring place to be. So it's actually that tension of not being happy with your work, which is rocket fuel, you know, like it's, yeah. I hope I never reach a point where I look at my work and go, "Wow, that's that's amazing."
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, out of everybody I've spoken to who's who's in the creative realm, I don't I don't think that it's very rare that you get someone who sees it like that.
1: I have never met anyone. Well, in that's the it. Right? I oh. never, not to this day, and I've met very very famous artists who sell for millions, and they sit there riddled with insecurity, and and I. And they, and they and they all go to me, oh, Katie, how did you do that? And I'm like, are you kidding? Like, they still can't, they still are very nervous about what they can't do, even though they were masters in contemporary work, masters in. Mm. They're always looking at something that they can't do and thinking if I uh, had color theory nailed, I'd be happy. If yeah. I had line weight variation nailed, I'd be happy. And I don't know. So it's, it's a work
0: so it's fair to say that you're pretty critical about your own work.
1: Very, 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 very.
0: <laughs> and, and and how does how does uh, how does taking criticism come to you? Is it easy? Is it hard? Dep- you know, both positive and negative.
1: Oh, I, I'm um, I'm pretty funny like that. Uh, I take it, but only from someone that I think should give it to me. Mm-hmm. So like, I had two people. Oh, yeah, I'm a princess. Like I had two people. <laughs> I had uh, two mentors through this book, maybe three, actually three, and they, I, they were specific, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't listen to anybody else because it's not that I didn't think anyone else couldn't give me the right perspective. I just wanted to hear their opinion. Yep. And it was Enrico Marini who did Batman and Simon Bisley. So if you've got Enrico Marini, do you know his work?
0: No, I'm um, not very familiar with it, no.
1: He's very. he's Degard, he's a publisher um from very massive in the Franco-Belgian uh scene mm-hmm. with comics Batman. He did his own run on Batman, which was incredible. And uh Simon Bisley who everybody
0: Everybody knows who Bisley is. Then listen if you don't know who Bisley is, go check it out.
1: So I have a look Simon Bisley, Google it. Um <laughs> and uh and so I had Biz telling me Things and I got Enrico, who's very good at color grading. And so I was going to Enrico for the watercolor color grading uh, opinion, mm-hmm. and I was going to Biz for dynamism and rendering. Yep. And I had these two guys in my head, and they were very specific. And I had uh, Abhishek Singh, who did Krishna for image. And he is a very, he's, he's a great friend and also a prolific comic book illustrator from India. And if you don't know his work, check it out as well. He did a, a, a huge graphic novel called Krishna, and it's beyond beautiful. And I had him as well, and he was giving me kind of like, he was on my go team,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and he's been there for years doing that, which is amazing. So I was, I'm very lucky to have these people give me their time. And and so I just listened to them. And uh, whatever they said, uh, they could say anything. They could They could have said that's terrible, that's awesome, take that out, put that back in. But uh, they never did. They never did. They respected what I was trying to do artistically versus uh, anything else. Mm-hmm. They were like, okay, this is this is important to her. She's idiosyncratic in her line work. She's idiosyncratic with her color work. So obviously I can't correct her because this is part of her expression. Uh, so they were very mindful to just give me guides, like Enrico would tell me to limit my palette, Bisley would tell me um, how little color I needed under my line work because it was so busy, Mm -hmm. Enrico I would go to Enrico with the comments that Bisley said and Enrico would say he's totally right, work on the lighting with this hue and Biz would come back and rebuttal that they never knew each other. And so this was going on over a period of two years. And then Simon Bisley, you know, was absolutely beautiful. And he said, oh, you know, Katie, I'm, you know, I want to do the cover of your book. That's awesome. So, you know, over the years, over the last, geez, 15 years, Simon Bisley and I become really good friends. And we talk all the time, almost I th- every I, couple of weeks.
0: I think I remember talking to you when... It, when it first happened or when maybe it was when you first got printed in heavy metal and uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and you, that was when you kind of met, that was the first time aroundabouts where you either got in contact with Simon Bisley or you guys met. I can't remember exactly what happened, but I remember him being a huge, uh, or you being a huge fan of his and then, huge, and, and then now being in regular contact with him, What's that What's that been like for you?
1: Well, I'm still, I never get over it. I mean, like, I was talking to him a couple of months ago and I said I wanted to get a, a Frazetta tattoo on my leg, you know, like, and he goes, oh, yeah, because he's a big gruff guy, so I'm busy. Oh, yeah. What one? And I said, oh, this one, you know, of like the, the iconic Conan, you know, like, because I love Conan. Um, and I'm um, and I love Frazetta, and I was going to get the two together. And he goes, "Oh yeah." And He goes, "Wait a second. And then the next day, he'd redrawn the whole thing in his style, and <laughs> uh, and, and gave it to me and said, "What do you reckon about that?" <laughs> and I was like, oh, "My God, it was the most mind-blowing thing." I, I, I'd to see Conan's Frazetta by Simon Bisley, for me, it was like, and he's a very generous, kind person. Mm-hmm. So like, and he loves working too. So it was like, he was like, oh yeah, I'd love to draw that. Let's have a go at that. Yeah, right. and, and he came to Australia and he brought it to me a couple of years ago, two years ago. Awesome. Yeah. And we sat up on the sky deck uh, in Sydney, just drinking volumes and saying nothing. Like, we were, like, the oldest friends in the world. We were just sitting there quietly drinking, watching the ferries going in under the water. And I thought, this is one of the greatest moments of my life. <laughs> yeah, it, and it is. And that's how it feels to have him as one of my best friends. I feel very grateful and very blessed. And I love him dearly.
0: That's, that's, that's amazing. Uh, one of your favorite artists becoming your mentor, becoming your friend.
1: Yeah, it's powerful, man.
0: <laughs> well, hopefully one day that'll happen to me. But... Uh... But for the for the moment, we're just gonna we're just gonna you know relax and uh, I'll talk to people and put my dreams of becoming comic creator on the back burner for the time being.
1: Yeah, don't don't pressure yourself. I'm ridiculous, you know, you know. That's not it's not healthy. I
0: I, I think I think from the perspective of understanding what people are talking about, it's it was really important for me to start and to start yeah. working because it's been I've been talking about comics to for about properly for about seven or eight years now Mm. and a while back i I could i could coast by and i could get through but really understanding what what people are talking about you know you have to you have to do it like you have to get in there and you have to think about these things you have to understand the difference uh an image makes with regard to line weight uh with what kind of you know what kind of ink you're using you know some people they don't care. You know, uh, I remember speaking to uh, uh, Nicola uh, Scott once and looking at some of her page work and, you know, depending on the artist, like some crew won't draw on anything but Bristol. And um, I think I remember going through Nicola's um, sketchbook, uh, or what's it called, original pages once at a convention. And it was like, nah, I'll draw on whatever I can. Like whatever yeah. I can find, I'll draw on it because at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah, same. You
1: know, and I think Nicola is actually someone you know in the industry who I relate to a lot, but she's incredible. Uh, she she's working old school as well, so it's funny, we'll catch up every now and then, and it's funny because you know she's on ridiculous deadlines, uh, and she nails them, and she's uh, just incredible, and I have so much respect for her. But she does it all classically, no digital. I mean, like, she's like me. We look at the these giant WACOMs and, and like, this kind of,
2: yeah.
1: oh, we should do it. We, it makes sense, but we can't. Like, I think she was, like, taping up a, a ruler to do her vanishing points. Like, two rulers and everyone else is all, like, on a WACOM going, what are you doing? She's like, this is the way I'm trained. This is how I'm doing it. Yeah. Um, and you know what? She's one of the best. So it, it, that is testament to, it doesn't matter how you get there as long as you get there. You yeah.
0: Know? Yeah. And uh, I remember I had a, a similar conversation with, with a couple of other people, just, you know, having people having trouble or, you know, traditional artists just having issues with switching over to the digital, mm. digital realm. Have you done any work in digital? Yeah, I, have
1: done, I do a lot of album covers digitally and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, Um, but a lot of the time I'll pencil them out and then work on them digitally within. I I have everything I need to work digitally. I I find it very difficult to go across. I, I really enjoy the classical medium, pens and ink, and it's part of the enjoyment of the process for me. I need to touch the paper. I need to feel everything. I'm very sensory. So it's for me, it's just a preference. I mean, you look at a lot of other people like uh, Jorge Jiménez. Uh, his work is just mind-blowing. Um, he did Superboy and Superman, mm-hmm. and, and he, all of his stuff is digital. And, you know, part of me at the back of my mind always just goes, oh, my God, I wish he would do something in ink because I would lose it. <laughs> just to see it, just to see it. I mean, like, his work blows my mind digitally, and it, it doesn't lose any power, all it, because the dynamism and the white and the black interplay is there before it goes to colour. Mm-hmm. And so it, all of the heavy hitters are there in his work. So when he, whatever medium he chooses, it's not getting lost. Um, and I think it really does come down to preference. I can see the difference between digital and classical, but I have to really look, you know. So... You got Mahmoud Asra as well, who did Conan, uh, who did an incredible run on Conan. Probably my favourite, actually. Um, K- Kerry Nord and and Mahmoud are about the levels for me at the same. I, I but, must say
0: that the, the Kerry Nord stuff was amazing. Oh, it's
1: oh, stupidly good. It's <laughs> so beautiful. It's so beautiful. I met him and I, it's such a pleasure to be able to go that's so beautiful to
0: their yeah, face. He was, like, he was here, wasn't he? He was here a couple yeah, of years ago. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, That was fantastic. Yeah. We got to hang out, and, um, that was really amazing for me to, um, spend some time with him and, and, uh, I, he, and to find out he's just as nice as his work, you know, like he, it, but his he was right up there for me with Conan's like his, it was just, it's so soft and beautiful mm. and, I don't know, you know, like he does a render, but he doesn't ink it, and he bumps up the res, and so it just keeps all of that sketchy painterly vibe in there, and then you've got that beautiful lighting underneath. Um, and Mahmoud Asra has, uh, he has Isad Isad Ribik on the covers. Yeah. And oh my god, like yeah, he's a
0: he's another amazing artist.
1: Oh my god, like Isad is like. I'll talk to someone busy about Isad, and then he'll go, Oh, look at this and they'll pull out something from his back and this is massive painting from Isad to him. And I was like, Oh, come on, I'm not video calling you anymore. <laughs> like <laughs> he's like, Look at this <laughs> <laughs> And uh and he says he's top bloke as well, top bloke. And, like, so, like, it's, it's really nice to know that all these people are such tremendously lovely people as well, you know, and they're so humble. You can ask them anything and Is, they –
0: Does Isad do his stuff digitally?
1: Uh, I think he's classical, but don't quote me on that. I right. mean, um, I think he does a lot of – I know he does a lot of watercolours and oils um, ah. and classical mediums, but I think, like, Mobius, he can kind of traverse both mediums quite easily. Yeah, I right. just – off the top of my head, I'm, I'm guessing that, yeah.
0: I, I just find, like, as you mentioned earlier, I just find that – there are there are artists that you might follow for a long period of time, particularly in the traditional sense of their art and the way they, you know, the way that they are, they are inked versus the way they draw, the way they draw. And when they switch to digital, I, I, I don't know if I'm being, I don't know if I'm crazy, but I'm looking at it, their artwork now, in the digital from a digital sense, and I can totally see and, and it's lost. Their art loses a lot of meaning for me. Just, just by purely, just aesthetically, just looking at it, going, something's missing. Yeah, and I think
1: you're right, and I think that that might come down to like bit them being more comfortable with traditional mediums, and you, that, that you might lose that tiny little magic because they're just still they're aware they're in a different medium. But having said that, um, could I it don't be? Want
0: to ail- could what? it could it could it be just purely the technology is not up to snuff? Could it be that? Mm, or is it is it the I, technique that they're using, like in terms of inking, for instance?
1: Well, I don't know. Like I see a lot of concept art and it's beautiful. Really, really beautiful. But um I I, I just can't register it as wholly in my mind. Um and I always just without fail think to myself. Man, I wish I could see them paint that classically, um, but I don't know if that's because I have a preference because of my own way I work, uh, and I don't want to say that you can't get that level of incredible work through digital because I have seen it. I have seen like like I said, I mean like Mahmoud Asrar. I think he does stuff. I think he pencils digitally. I think I think so and. He's like one of the greatest uh, sequential storytellers, uh, you know, in fantasy I've seen in the last ten years. So, yeah, I think it's definitely possible. I just think um, I have a preference for classical. Uh, I think that some people will argue with me and say, "How can you tell the difference?" And I'm like, "I can't tell you how or why." I can, and you know, like, but at the same token. I don't want to um, say that you can't digitally create masterpieces because of that's the medium. It's just a preference.
0: I, I don't. I don't. I I agree. I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing or a good thing or a bad thing. It's just that they're they're different, and I think that's yeah. that's my point. Is particularly if you know an artist well, you you know you've you know it's like looking at Jim Lee's lines from. From the late '80s through the early '90s, all the way through to the 2000s, and then when he switched to digital, because generally a lot of the stuff he does now, particularly when he's doing professional work, it's all yeah. digital, and you can yeah. tell the line weights, and, and and that's kind of what I think uh, diminishes the work. It's not that he can't draw; it's not that it's shit. It's just mm. different, and you know, and I think it, it loses, um, it, it loses the some some, it loses the magic. You know, when, when, when you had uh, Scott Williams doing, doing inking over the top or, you know, any inker really, you know, mm. doing that, doing that old, sc- you know, just, you know, smudging on the paper, you know, you no, look it's
1: at. Beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's it's like, it's, it's the, the whole process. It is nothing more romantic to me than ink. It's like, it is so wild and free and crazy and untamable and permanent and you can make some really amazing things by leaning on it by accident. Like, you know, you'd be like, Oh man, what have I done? And then all of a sudden you've got like a perfect tree or something like all these accidents, um, that come. And I know that I've got some of my friends that work digitally. They're like, what do you do when you make a mistake? And I go, oh, I use covering gouache. And they're like, what? Like, White out. Yeah. And, um, And and, you know, like, Bisley is another classic example. You want to see what he uses in his studio. Some of his paintings that you would lose your mind over were done with engine grease, Uh, enamel paint that he's found near the bike, Uh, jam, I don't know, everything. Like, these things, these textures that you find in everyday life that aren't within the computer, Uh, that you use and you explore uh you know with your hands and your mind that there's nothing that compares with that there's nothing that compares with that that point of creativity when you're like you're in the zone of creativity you're drinking a glass of wine you need a red hue. You use <laughs> like you just every artist I know will be like, "Yeah, I know this man. I know this." You use whatever is around you to not go out of that point of flow. Mm. Uh, and you know, and I think when you're working digitally, it's like, "I'm just gonna click on the other icon tool. I'm gonna click on the other brush tool." It seems so so formal, so controlled, so boxed so and all of that raw and physical uh, emotional passion that you don't see going into someone's work like we paint crazy like if anyone had a camera of, it's crazy <laughs> <laughs> Like you know like it's not sitting here and, like this it's crazy there's everything's foods everywhere it's on everywhere. your face yeah, yeah, yeah. like so and that energy that we're trying to put into that, that can be in comics. You look at um, Havoc and Wolverine Meltdown mm-hmm. with uh, John J. Moose and yeah. Kent Williams. You know that series? Yeah. Yeah. There's no way Kent Williams or, you know, like those guys were sitting there going, and then I'll just uh, do this. <laughs> it's wild. Yeah. These guys were wild. They were breaking, breaking um, boundaries. They were, they were, they were breaking through uh, what we perceive comics to be at every point. They were like, boom, this is a new way we can do it. There's no rules. Uh, And a lot of the British comics were the same. But to digress, but to go back into digital comics, I don't know if you would have got any of those mistakes that made the magic in those comics if it wasn't so external to one point. Of contact. Yeah, right. But that's just my opinion as a as a as a classical artist, and anyone that's digital who's all like, "Man, I get wild with my Wacom KT." <laughs> <laughs> I
0: want to see that. Me, I, I want to <laughs> see people getting wild with their Wacom's.
1: <laughs> get wild with your Wacom. Come
0: on. <laughs> I remember you coming into work on many occasions. Just you had like fucking you had ink all down your arms. Dude, what happened to you? Oh, I was inking last night.
1: <laughs> that was one of the deadlines for Arsenic Lullaby for um, Doug Pascovich. We did a, a comic called Laughter of the Damned.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: the turnaround for that was nuts. It was so tight. That was for AAA Milwaukee Press. That was when I was with you at the Worlds. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was working on at the time. And I actually went to um, Rome for a holiday. Do you remember that?
0: Uh, no, I don't actually. No, <laughs> but like I said, like I said, that that period of my life is a little bit sketchy. There's a lot of things I don't remember around there. <laughs>
1: anyway, he this was before the intraweb's were popping. Um and I got an email from him, and I'd sent him, he, I'd FedEx the pages to him because that's how long ago this was, <laughs> and I was in Rome, and he said, "This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. I'm going to put it to print like this, but you got to know." Can't do that. This guy is so classical. And I changed my flight to come back early to fix the pages up before I got into deadline. I was like, I want you to know. I'll never get over that. I was like, but it went to print. I still don't have a copy, but I fixed it. (laughs) (laughs) It It's a good story.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's hardcore. Uh, With with regard to deadlines, a a lot of the crew I speak to are independent. So a a lot of people are... Are working on you know their own comics is not necessarily anything uh with deadlines but i assume that you knowing so many people in in the industry that they do factor heavily on a lot of people's workloads very much what what is it like for you to work on a deadline is it is it one of those things where if you're prepared you can smash it out or is it inevitably always something that just comes at you so quickly you don't you don't even see it coming
1: before I had kids, I was awesome on a deadline. I was like, never miss one, not one.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I think I um, I had one with Gestalt last year. <laughs> I remember it was the first time I've ever said, I need more time. And uh, just the feeling was the worst feeling in the world. And it, I just, I don't think I'd ever said that, I need more time. Mm. And I was like, this is why I don't do death. <laughs> like Because for that feeling. Yeah that feeling of, like, knowing that you weren't fast enough, knowing that it wasn't – and, I mean, like, I was recovering from a hand injury and all kinds of stuff like that. And, you know, Wolfgang was so understanding. It wasn't even a thing, you know. But to me it was. Um, To me it it bothered me hugely. And so, like – and, you know, I'd worked for a lot of people in – in other industries where deadline is critical for like Hitachi and Sony and things like that where if you don't hit the deadline it's bad news.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so I, I'm, I'm used to being a deadline artist before kids but I also can't stand my reputation being Sully by not being on time. So I didn't take a deadline for a long time because of children and I didn't want to put that on my children. Like I didn't want to be anxious. I know what I'm like. If I've got a deadline in comics and it's something I care about and I've got my kids and I'm not emotionally present. I'm, I'm, I'm a terrible person. I'm sitting there thinking about my work Yeah, right. and they're like, look at me in the pool. And I'm like, I can't, I'm thinking, my brain is processing my work and I just didn't want to do that to them. I mean, like I didn't want to not be present with my children. So that was for me way worse than not hitting a deadline is not being present with them. So I chose a long form so I was like, it made sense to me keep my hand in the game, do mm-hmm. short, do album covers and things like that. And I've been working freelance the whole way through. But as far as comics goes, if you don't hit a deadline in comics, it's bye.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I imagine yeah. the work dries up pretty quickly.
1: Oh yeah, you. I think it's like that old saying: comics, you either got to be nice, um, hit your deadlines, and have great work, uh, or at least have two of the three. Yeah. Right. So like. You've either got to be good, hit your deadlines, you don't have to be nice. You could give up being nice. (laughs) You know, you have to be nice. Not be that great, but hit your deadlines, you'll stay.
0: I reckon everybody's got a story about a comic creator who wasn't nice.
1: Uh, I think there's a few. (laughs) There's a few and then there's some that I've met, but, you know, and I'm not going to mention names, but uh, they definitely had earned their right to be sassy. They were like...
0: Oh, oh that's not up for that's not up for discussion I understand that completely but it doesn't you know but it's still you know I, I and I get it from their perspective on some level you know if you've got you've got fans and they're busting your chops and I get yeah. that I get that it's you know but it's it's not always good to to hear stories about people who, who you regard you know very well and then you hear stories and you go well, oh, that's a shame you know. yeah that's
1: a shame I don't hear it very often though in my whole career I think I've been in comics for nearly 25 years now and i I've, I've I've got a handful of stories Not well,
0: many. well that's that's the great thing isn't it that, yeah, that there aren't that many who who are like that which is yeah which, is, so few. which is very heartening I should say because you'd think in yeah. the type of industry that that comics is particularly in the commercial sense there would be a lot more prickly people out there
1: yeah I think so I mean I, I I've only been treated well really I mean i I've been uh, a bit of a party favorite at times being a girl in comics, you know, like we only started really getting some, some awareness about this in the last 10 years, yeah, really. And yeah. like, it's, it's, it's going to take a while. Uh,
0: what, what's really astounded me is that the level of work that's coming out of some of the majors and falling in love with all, all these amazing female creators coming through that wouldn't, you would never have seen 20 years ago. Like you wouldn't have seen someone like Joelle Jones uh, come out oh, yeah. and her artwork is unbelievable.
1: Oh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean like
0: I keep so talking like, about her to everybody. It's just it's it's fucking amazing.
1: And so Marvel Marvel is optioning uh, some incredible creators right now, and I'm happy to say that there's such a low level of discrimination. And that is a real positive thing that's coming into comics and it has been in the last five to ten years, and I only see it getting stronger. Yeah. So I do too. So maybe uh, that's something that we can look forward to.
0: I hope so. I hope so.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: You're listening to Graphic Nature. We'll return right after this short message. Hey, thanks for listening. Hope you're enjoying the show. Please jump on Facebook and like us, as well as following us on Twitter and Instagram. You can find all the details on the website, graphicnature.media. Thanks very much. Uh, another thing another project that you that you did a while back you did some uh, installation art uh, was that in was that in Tasmania or in Brisbane I keep forgetting
1: Oh yeah on South Bank yeah uh, that was an uh, all female comic liner um, i i think it was Ali reached out to me Her last name is evading me right now. Um, And she said, hey, do you want to put up this thing here? And I was like, yeah, sure. Uh, And I just didn't realize how big it was, actually. Um, (laughs) And then I was like, yeah, whoa, that's a big installation. It was, like, meters high, meters long. And um, I got a lot of um, comments and a lot of uh, feedback about that, which was amazing. I do do street art as well on the side just for fun with my friends and other street artists like Hisco and and all those other cats that uh, I painted with a long time ago. He's always very heavily into comics, and uh, I really enjoy uh, hanging out with him and painting with him, and hopefully some more things of that will come in the future. Uh, and so Street Art, and I do a lot of mural workshops as well, so I do that with – I was freelancing doing mural workshops with um, Youth at Risk as well, so I was working awesome. with oh, – cool. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So that's a lot of work.
1: It's a lot of work, really, and you get the time. <laughs> I'm very good at time management.
0: I'll say. I'm,
1: yeah. So, and I actually am very adamant. To, like, and I will do a lot of work when the kids go to bed at night. I, I use my time very. I'm very valuable with my time. I don't date. <laughs> 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 that saves me hundreds of hours. I imagine. Um, I, I imagine. imagine a lot of friends, but like, I just, I'm realistic about what takes time, what I can do and what I can't do. And I realize that I am probably, uh, there's no vacancy for, uh, you, know, I, you know, like comics have always been that for me, mm-hmm. you know, like comics have always been my significant other really. <laughs> um, so yeah, I know it's sad and beautiful. At
0: the same time. Uh, <laughs> At the same time. Just recently, you've um, you've uh, gone back. You're getting back into tattooing. Yes. And I do want to ask you about the you know I've seen over the over the last few years a lot of people interested in art or who who are very good at art making a transition over to to let's say live canvases versus drawing comics or or, or art. Uh, is it? is it something that you want to pursue at the expense concurrently or is it something you want to just dabble in for you personally?
1: Um, I don't think I would want to dabble in it because I just don't think that gives the industry the respect that it should get. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I, I don't want to do anything poorly. I want to do it really well. Yeah. So it's going to take a volume of time. Um, but I also have – I'm very mindful and my, uh, my apprenticeship is with someone who's also a heavy comic fan. Right. Um, so he's very understanding of the fact that I take time to work on my books and time to do my apprenticeship. And he's also a family man as well. So, you know, there's time for my children. So I split my week up into working on my comics uh, and – and the other bit, uh, the other half, is working on the apprenticeship, and then I paint in the evening. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry, my brain just exploded when. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I suppose that's where time management comes in, then.
1: It is, and it's also like it's so thoroughly enjoyable. Mm-hmm. So it's like it has its own momentum. Yeah. It's like it's you know. I've got ideas coming out of my brains for Africa, you know, like for years, I'll never run out of things that I want to do. And, um, and I also tattooing is, is really amazing. I mean, like it's leaving your work permanently on someone. Yeah. What a privilege. It's line work based, also the best. Um, well, you can get shading tattooing, but I'm going to be working towards, you know, getting my line weight and perfect on someone else. Yep and the tattoo flash and some of the um flash work coming out is just mind-blowing these days like it's getting crazy it's
0: yeah the level of detail that's that's coming through is is remarkable yeah. it's it leaves some bounds even from five six years ago
1: and content these people yeah. are wild like yeah it's abstract contemporary it's brushwork it's tattooing is, is not as what we know it
0: no it's it's definitely grown as an industry and and i've noticed like even like some of the best guys 15 years ago like that's that's the that's the actual median now Mm. you know the guys that you would consider awesome 15 years ago are now like they're the they're the the bottom they're the middle rung Mm. so it's it's phenomenal
1: it's really and i think that you know like i always wanted to keep working with my work um it made sense to me and it just was a natural progression. I like tattoos. I have a lot of tattoos myself. Um, <laughs> so it was kind of like, yeah, let's do that. You know?
0: <laughs> oh, Awesome. Yeah, Awesome. Well, that's great. So when, when can we expect to see the finished product of Kulan?
1: I'm doing the grades right now, which means that I'm doing all the color steps and, and making sure it's all, um, Tight, neat, and tidy. I'm mm-hmm. I'm getting uh, maybe about five pages done a day on that grading, so um, it's probably, and I'm going to step that up as well. I'll have about I have to literally step away from the computer after doing five pages in a row, and and read.
0: what does the grading involve? Like I, it's where? a
1: lot of like there's a lot of doing saturation levels. There's a lot of um, like making sure it's got that the right hue, color balance, and oh. and Contrasts, and uh, i think that just comes with really messing around with the levels to the to the way that you particularly want it i mean like
0: so so kind of like mastering an album yeah it's
1: like it's exactly like mastering an album
0: right gotcha gotcha. so
1: uh in answer to your question is i'm doing five pages a day right now i'm hoping to step that up to 10 pages a day um Mm. because i want it done
0: wow yeah how do you feel about uh, how do you feel about it getting finished? I'm
1: very nervous. I'm <laughs> like I think I've felt um, less. I, I it makes me anxious. I've been working on this f- of my whole having being a mother. Uh, you know, my my daughter went – I you know I was homeschooling last year. I was supposed to finish it last year, but then I started homeschooling, <laughs> which was. You know, my daughter didn't feel ready to go to school uh, at the beginning of last year. Well, that's fixed. Now she's fully ready.
2: <laughs> 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 like,
1: boom, through the gate. She's like, okay, I had an extra year with my mom. I'm like, man, you're lucky. <laughs> and we did. Amen. We go, you know, like not, not many people can say, you know, you know, I taught my daughter how to read. You know, like and that's that, pretty awesome. It's it's pretty amazing. At the beginning of the year, she couldn't read. At the end, she could. And it was me and her. And so, and there was some, she failed at Zooms, couldn't stand them. She's <laughs> physical. Fair enough. So, yeah. So I did most of the classes with her. Um, I, I said, give me the work and I'll do it. And uh, so it was me and her a lot of the time. And my son was uh, to the minute with his Zoom classes. So thankfully he was great. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the book got on hold. The book got on hold. And... Um, and that was an amazing thing is that I, I decided to paint it through COVID. So, cause like it was, I was like pleading with Sasha burning for like, I don't know, embarrassingly for years to, to color the book. And mm-hmm. I think it was annual. Please. No, please. No. <laughs> I said,
0: why, why was, why was he reticent to do it?
1: It's such a volume of work. Right. Sasha is not a colorist. He's an artist. So he's, Incredible at coloring, because he's an artist, (laughs) but he's not a
2: colorist.
1: (laughs) Um, So, like, for him to color sixty pages of somebody else's work is a big stretch. And I was like, offering him money and (laughs) jewels, (laughs) everything, and he was like, "No, Katie, I can't do it. I can't do it." You know, like, um, and then I got to that point where I said to him, "I'm gonna have to color this book myself." And he's like, "I said, I'm not comfortable. I can't." And but I you know but it was strange because I'd had a fine art career that paralleled comics the whole time. I'd done solo shows. I'd been painting walls. I've been working in color for years. I just never put the two together, and so I was forced to paint the book. Forced. Uh, And about halfway through, I was absolutely thoroughly enjoying it. And by the end of it, I was like, I couldn't see it any other way. It's it's way more classical. It looks very watercolor. It looks very uh, painterly. Um, but that's, um, an homage to those classic guys as well, back in the eighties and nineties.
0: So on the process of drawing and because it was such a long period of time, could you actually see your style at all change over that period of time?
1: Heavily. I had to repaint the first 20 pages.
0: What about, what about drawing? Same, same deal?
1: Yep. I had to redraw tons and tons and tons. Hence the reason I got a tendon flair, um, (laughs) Yeah, and, uh, yeah, right. And uh, probably, you know, I had to wear a strap. So, like, like, I was painting it with a strap and just going, and it was hurting, and I was like, I've got to finish it. And so it was, it was kind of, Jeez. yeah, it was in full on. I mean, at one point I was inking the book, I had an ice bucket and a hot thing. Bucket. I an <laughs> ice bucket, and then I put it in the hot one, and then it would buy me, in, like, another two hours. <laughs>
0: Wow, that's mental. That's mental. I've always found it fascinating that almost to everyone I've talked to who is doing such a, a long work that it's always midway through they start realizing that the first half doesn't look as good as the as the end half, and so they do end up going back. Pat Grant did the same thing yep. with um with his uh with uh, what was it called Blue. He did the same thing. I remember speaking to him about it, and and he said the same thing yeah. just halfway through it realized this first pit doesn't set doesn't look as good and then going back and having to redraw it
1: i've pretty much everyone i talked to in long form has said the same thing every time and so it's like i think i the, the amount of times i just stared at it and just like i can't go on, I can't <laughs> go on. like
0: did you do, you do you end up getting to a point where you kind of go well that's like you know is your brain going all right, pages one to 16 are fucked. Oh, 15, you know, 17 looks good. I'll probably keep 17, do minimal work on 17. Like, yeah. is that, or are you just going nut, dump all of it and start again?
1: No, you do that. You do the first bit. you like, tighten this yeah, right. up, take that out, redraw that, redraw the face. You know, like the better you get, the more mistakes you can see. But at some point, I'm very open about making mistakes. I'm very open that this is like my first body of work. So, like, it's big body. And so I, I think, you know, I'm not expecting this to, like, be like, what? It is, it was very personal. It's a labor of love. Mm-hmm. It's very important to me. It might not be very important to somebody else. Um, So, like, I don't scrutinize it too much because I wasn't trying to be the best. I wasn't trying to right. be blockbuster. I was trying to be true to myself. Yep, yep. um, in every way, artistically, <laughs> content, uh, color, so it does look like it doesn't fit anywhere and it probably won't, but it is true to who I am, so that that's all like all I can put out there.
0: Well, that's the most important thing, isn't it?
1: Yeah, as a creator, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to hear that voice all the way through because you you've got um you compare yourself all the time, it's natural. Yeah. Um, to people that have gone before and you're like, oh, it doesn't look like that. Or it doesn't look like that. and mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, congratulations on getting it. It's been a long time coming. Thank you very much. I remember you talking about this like years
1: ago. Yeah. I have people coming back into my life going, Jesus, you finished it? Like <laughs> 15, <laughs> 20 years I've been trying. I wrote this. And yeah. So I, I highly encourage people to like do, you know, Big magnum opuses while they have small children because it's such a personal um, <laughs> time with your child, and you know, like it brings up so much emotion and so much beautiful uh, feelings and expressions. That if you can, if you can create at the same time, it's very rewarding, uh, you know. But at the time, don't put pressure on yourself. My God.
0: <laughs> yeah. So so Kulan's done. What's next?
1: I already started um, drawing a new comic right now. It's on the boards. If you, if you follow my stories on Instagrams, you will see um, I'm working on it. It's a little short comic uh, for my own fun that I'll pitch to Heavy Metal. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we'll have to see more about that. That's on the boards now just to, like, keep my hand in. There's there's a heap of other things. Some I can't talk about. Jeez. Um, uh
0: I just I just, I was just hoping to find out that you were actually going to continue, and it wasn't like I'm done. I've just done this massive thing. <laughs> and,
1: the first thing I did was tape a, bo- a page to the board. And I was like, "That's it. What are we doing? What's next?" <laughs> I, you know, I wrote three comics during lockdown that um that I want to draw. Uh, so awesome. Yeah, I mean, like they just come out of me. It's not like it's like, wow, that's amazing. It's like no, I can't stop it. It just it's like some kind of thing.
0: Comic diarrhea. <laughs>
1: yeah like that hopefully something
0: more poetic <laughs> no i'm not very poetic as as most people will probably know by now uh that's that's all great news mate um and for, now that you did say it's on instagram are you using a lot of that kind of webtoon stuff have you been doing that over the years using instagram no well not so much instagram but like digitally like have you ever thought of branching out and doing webtoons or web comics well, yeah i should say
1: um i really you know i didn't have the time or the space to do anything like that but as I settle into um, my career in uh, at, at Ligon Tattoo, and as you know, the book gets finished, and I start like being able to pump out some more titles, just single issues and things like that. Uh, you know, yep. I'll, I'll start filming myself drawing them, and and um, and do some some live stuff so people can ask me questions and about how how it's made and what how things work. And cool. yeah, so the answer to that is yes, I'll be doing more of that.
0: <laughs> awesome. Awesome. How, how, how have your experiences been at, at conventions? Like not only here but um, but you know, overseas to the ones you've – as a punter as well as uh, someone who's exhibiting.
1: Oh, it's a totally different experience from someone who's signing at a convention versus someone that's walking around. San Diego Comic-Con obviously in the early days was a uh, creator heaven having access to all of those people like Jeff Darrow and of course, Bill Sankovich and even, you know, having those, just being able to walk up to those people and see their pages and talk to them was pretty much the highlight of my career and my life um, outside of children Uh, (laughs) is to be able to walk up to these people and um, just speak to them about their work. It's, you know, it's, Anyone that goes to Comic-Cons on that level, like either ECC or, you know, like San Diego or or any of the bigger cons, even um, Oz Comic-Con as well has had a lot of people come to it that were really amazing people as well. Mm,
0: Uh, They got some really big names.
1: They had some really big names. And so it was a genuinely amazing experience. It still is an amazing experience. Signing at them is so cool because you get to meet the readers, you get to meet people and get to hear what they think about titles i love the camaraderie of signing at cons i get to hang out with other creators behind the tables and draw and talk comics and we do that for like 10 hours a day or something like that just like i must
0: say it it looks like a lot of fun it's a lot of fun behind that table and and just chilling out with everybody and talking shit and then you know watching idiots like me come up going oh can i interview you it's the best
1: it's the best (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, but going out with the creators afterwards and just spending time with them and, and really talking about everybody's processes and really talking about comics. I think it was, like, me and um, this incredible uh, Australian comic artist. You know, you know, you know this kills me. I can't remember his name. We were sitting up in the green room and we were... You know, we might have never talked to each other very often about comics, but I'd known his work and I'd appreciated his work. You know, I'll have to message you his name. Um, I'd only met him once. Uh, and we were deep, deep in in this conversation about comics and process. And, you know, he was just fascinating. And I had, like, Joe yellow from Death Saves, right? He was sitting right there. And he could have been anyone just sitting there because the, it was that engrossing what how good it was it was so engrossing that joe manganiello comes up over to us and goes what are you talking about i have to know like he he was fanning out over a comic book conversation <laughs> and that, i mean like and that is like that's what it's about that's how good it is you lose the whole world um because there are other people um that are as passionate about the medium as you, about how to make it and how to be better at it, and uh, enjoy each other's work. And um, the fans, the fans are the best, man. The readers, you know, uh, you know, comics are nothing without the readers. You know, mm. and so like getting in contact with these people coming up. Uh, and I highly encourage you, anyone that comes to a comic con, to talk to creators. We're so open to talk to you about how to make things and how to get in and how to work because I, I had people so kind to me uh, when I was first starting out and everyone I know in comics is so happy to pay that forward, you know, so it's a beautiful experience. It's a family kind of vibe as well, like everyone looks out for each other there. Everyone is, it's, you know, it's a, each year it, it kind of grows like that. It's a
0: community. Yeah, I, I must say that I've I've experienced that from the perspective of knowing people at a lot of the independent conventions that are being held around Melbourne over the last few years pre COVID, and um, I must say that they're getting bigger as well. And uh, I must say I don't see the same level with with the bigger with the with the bigger conventions from the perspective of uh, of just that you know this all encompassing uh, you know creator heaven. Like going into some of these independent conventions, like everybody there, it's, there's nothing but, nothing but creators. Whereas, you know, going to some of these bigger conventions, you've got this small artist alley that's, yep. it seemed like it was getting smaller and smaller in the last few years. And so much more of the convention bullshit. Whereas, um, you know, going to the local, a lot of the local cons, speaking to the creators, it's just... You know, it's that same type of vibe that you're, exp- that you're explaining. Like, you know, cats are handing comics to each other. Love. It's like, Oh, did you do a new one? Yeah. Here you go. You can have mine. And they go, Oh, you can have mine. You know, it's, yeah. it's such a good thing to see. And it looks like a lot of fun. And maybe one day I'll be on the other side of the table, but. Uh, oh,
1: why not? I, 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 now I, I think with like, with, um, us being, you know, Australia Island now because of COVID, <laughs> but, uh, I think that, you know, when our cons do start up, um, we will be appreciating each other a lot more we'll get to do our cons again with and get to know our Australian creators more intimately because we have the opportunity to so I'm, I'm actually looking forward to the cons starting up again and just being Australian based because I think we we are a very a, a position of strength creatively and we you know we We need to get to know each other more i think we do know each other quite well as creators i you know i think that we've got a strong community but after covid and us all being separated i think we'll be way so happy to be together again
0: (laughs) yeah i agree yeah i agree katie thank you so much for being on the show thanks (laughs) i'll
1: see you you
0: soon 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 thanks bye That's the end of this episode of Graphic Nature. Thanks for listening. If you could please rate and review the show on whatever podcast service you use, it would be greatly appreciated. If you have any thoughts regarding the show, feel free to send an email to feedback at graphicnature.media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And for more information about the show, visit Graphic Nature on the web by typing into your web browser or search engine, graphicnature.media. Till next time, enjoy the comics you read and read the comics you enjoy. Bye.
2: Credits!
0: Written, produced, edited, and presented by Zoran Ilyevsky. Audio consultation and additional production, Archie Cuthbertson, Dan Moore. Credits announcer, Simon Winkler. Theme character voices, Zoran Ilyevsky. Audio excerpts of Senate Subcommittee on Juvenile Delinquency, Wortham versus Gaines on Decency Standards, used courtesy of New York City Municipal Archives. You've been listening to Graphic Nature, the podcast.